Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could appear in our preaching this week. My name is Geoffrey Farrer and I'm a Methodist minister based in Putney in London. Before I was ordained, I spent 10 years working in the House of Commons as a clerk and I'm committed to connecting how we pray and read our scriptures to how we vote and live. Each week, I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. And today, I'm very pleased to introduce the Reverend Ken Benjamin. Uh, formerly president of Baptists Together, Ken served for more than 20 years as senior minister at Chichester Baptist Church. He joined LICC, the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, in September 2020, where he is a leading voice in the whole life discipleship movement. As Director of Church Relationships at LICC, Ken is responsible for leading uh, the organization's church-facing work, helping fuel a sustainable, whole-life disciple-making culture in UK churches. He's married to Sue and they have two adult children. And at the beginning of Lent, uh, Ken has already caused me to sin by uh, creating the sin of envy because it says, <laughs> in my little verb, in his free time, he enjoys playing golf and tennis as well as time it away in his VW camper van. So there, I've already, we're Monday morning at 11 o'clock and I've already broken one of the commandments because I covet your VW camper van. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely to be with you. I was going to ask which of those three things, was it the golf or the tennis or the camper van you were Oh, definitely the camper van. Uh, great fun, I should imagine, being out and about in that. It is good and it forces a different pace of life. It's, it's great. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for uh, being with us today, Ken. Um, now, we all know that wherever we are on the, spe uh, on the um, theological or political spectrum, politics in the pulpit can be a contentious topic. But we also believe that it's essential for the world around us to speak into our churches. When you hear people saying that politics should not form part of our preaching, what's your response? <laughs> well, I'm guessing you probably wouldn't invite me to your podcast if I agreed with that sentence. And, and thankfully, I don't. If somebody uses preaching as an opportunity to make a particular party political point, and they do so without any reference to the Bible, then I wouldn't want to defend that. But that's not generally what people mean when they say something like politics and the uh, pulpit don't match, do they? I would say it's worth stepping back from the words politics and preaching or pulpit for a second. What is politics? It's surely the process of governing and deciding things uh, to bring about change. And behind that change is a set of values and priorities and morals and fairness and a desire to make a difference. And if you take the word pulpit or preaching out, what have you got? You've got a verbal message aiming for change, surely, and aiming to look at part of the Bible and say what it meant then, what it means now, and crucially, so what? And behind that, so what, is the same sort of headings, priorities, morals, fairness, and a desire to make a difference. So it's the same sort of list for me, Geoffrey. And so the overlap between politics and preaching is inescapable. We preach for change, don't we? The idea of being salt in the world is helpful and relevant here. That analogy of salt that Jesus uses can mean a variety of things, but it can be to preserve, to stop the rot, to add flavour, to make things different, and a needed element for life. And that sounds like good politics, and it sounds like good preaching to me. Yes, excellent. Yes, I'd agree with everything there. And last night in bed, I was even thinking about this podcast, because I was just thumbing through 
the introduction to my Lent book. This is my, I'm not recommending, but Hearing God in Poetry, which is mm. Richard Harry's, uh, who lives locally to us. And in his introduction, he, uh, he has a good quote from Austin Farrer, the British theologian, who shares, got a good name, because the same, same surname, spelled slightly <laughs> differently. But he, he wrote, Faith perishes if it is walled in or confined. If it is anywhere, it must be everywhere, like God himself. And I thought that was, uh, I thought, I, I, I thought I'll steal that quote. That's a good one. And I love the idea, faith is anywhere, it's everywhere. Absolutely, absolutely. My, uh, you mentioned that I had the privilege of being president of Baptist Together. And, mm. and my theme was, was where do we grow from here? And the strap line was, we will never get anywhere until we equip God's people for their everywhere. It, mm. it is about how we represent God as his ambassadors everywhere. Yeah, definitely. So, um, but just before we plunge in, we just note what's going on in the world and church around us. Um, in, in our world, in the country, perhaps we've got uh, a, a big focus on the, uh, the deal in Northern Ireland, which is proving to be a real headache for mm. uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, and of course a great deal of concern about the impact on any uh, on the deal and the in the effect that no deal is having on the people of Northern Ireland. Mm. Um, we've got the aftermath of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, with people's attention now turning more and more to anger uh, what they see was bad polit politicians, bad political decisions allowing poor building regulations in particular. Um, and very much in our hearts and minds is the anniversary this week of the start of the conflict in Ukraine, which is on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And just note breaking news that President Biden uh, has made a, a, a flying visit to Kyiv. Um, and it is, and, and that links to what's happening in the church this week, where of course it's the start of Lent. We've got Shrove Tuesday and Ash Wednesday. And I think there is something um very significant about that coincidence of mm. the anniversary and i last year i noted from our uh, from our publicity we were praying for ukraine and marking ash wednesday and we'll be doing the same again this week um and a, a real coincidence i think we probably will talk a little bit about that in in what we're saying yes. about the readings Yes, I mean, you've mentioned huge issues there mm. and for us to consider and uh, no easy answers to all of them, but that doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge them when we, when we gather together, mm -hmm. uh, recognise the, the, the difficulty and, and, and the, the problem of finding the best way forward on something like trade deals in, in Northern Ireland, but nevertheless mm. pray for good policies, good decisions, Good, good way forward and and then in the ukraine situation it is both tragic and astonishing that it, we are one year on um mm -hmm. but we recognize that we shouldn't weary in 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 praying for and looking for the best and and mm -hmm. and not accepting the, the current situation and not letting it drift off the radar yes definitely so with all that in mind with our metaphorical newspapers in one hand and our Bibles in the other. Um, let's turn to our readings for this coming Sunday, which of course the first Sunday in Lent. So we have readings from Genesis, Romans, Psalm 32, and this year it's Matthew's turn to recount the story of Jesus going out into the wilderness. Now, um, where, Ken, where do you think you would like to start this week? And 
And perhaps is there a theme that's emerging for you from these readings? Yes, I mean, you you know the lecturing better than I do, Geoffrey. Uh, I haven't always come from traditions that follow it quite so closely, but mm. when I have looked at it, I can't always readily, easily find a link between all four. Um, <laughs> ah, I think many preachers would do the same. <laughs> Sometimes one has to be quite creative to find to find those links. On this mm. occasion, though, all four mm. look at, for me, look very clearly at right and wrong, at good and bad. Mm. They all talk or they all mention or it's there in the foreground, the idea of, of sin. So it's there in the Garden of Eden. It's there in that psalm. It's explicitly talked about in the in the Romans passage. And of course, it's there by implication in the temptation of Jesus. What is he being tempted to do? So there is an opportunity to look to link all four, I think. And that all four are unequivocal that there is right and wrong. That there are some moral absolutes there, that not everything is relative. And, of course, that's an interesting subject to explore. The very fact that there mm. are some things that are right and some things that are wrong is in and of itself an apologetic, an argument for the existence of God. It's very hard to come to some cross-cultural moral absolutes without a benchmark, and that benchmark being the divine. So mm. all four readings give us give us that opportunity and, and the link between them is interesting from, from that perspective. So that might be an overview of where I might start, Geoffrey. And, and very interesting because, of course, sin famously is a word we don't use very much. Um, it, 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 in the political sphere, yeah. I think, um, in particular, I think it would be very interesting for a politician to describe something as sinful. And yeah. I wonder what the reaction would be. What... Before we plunge it, what what for you? What is sin? What is sin? <laughs> a small question mm. for a Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's doing and or thinking wrong. The absence of doing right um, is included within that. And yes, I would be very careful outside of the pulpit where I would use that word. But that word is inescapable in the psalm and in the Romans passage. Mm. It's, it's consistently repeated. And so whilst I wouldn't use it in a conversation with my neighbour or people I play golf with necessarily, mm. I would look for more accessible ways to talk about right and wrong. Got no problem with that. The The very fact that, that it's unequivocal and that it exists here in this passage, it, it affects our everyday lives. I think that's that's part of what the organisation that I'm part of, LICC, is here to represent. That, that when we're out there in our places where we work, rest and play, LICC would use the word frontline, not in a Ukraine military sense, mm. but, but in the sense of where do you spend most time, particularly thinking of most time with people who, who wouldn't be on our page in terms of faith in Jesus. Um, when we're out there, that nevertheless, there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong, and that includes our own lives. So I would that would be my approach to answering yes a huge question yeah a huge question and I, I I tend to sort of think of sin as that which separates us from God mm. um, and that's such a neat definition I must have got it from somewhere else mm. but I can't think where and probably um, 
I'm sure other listeners may know where it comes from. But I, I, I sort of, one of the things I, I that frustrates me about mm. church life uh, and, and the Christian life is sometimes we have focused so much on sexual sin mm. that we have, we have, we have let sin become solely associated with personal morality, which is, of course, where it's based and begins, but we've lost touch with that. So, I, so for example, I find myself, when I use the word sin, I say this is sinful. That mm. often it rings a bell in my mind. So I often find, say, for the issue of children going hungry, you mm. know, the number of food banks, I, to me, that strikes me as sinful. Somehow. Yeah, um, yeah. And you would find resonance, I think, with your description of mm. being separated from God is, is, of course, a consequence of sin, isn't it? Mm. As well as part of your definition. Mm. With the psalm, verse three, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, is the phrase. So so there is a kind of not rightness and distance um, associated with, with the implications and the consequences of, of wrong in our lives. Yeah. So let's let's start there then let's start with psalms 32 mm. uh, which is entitled in the nrsv the joy of forgiveness and it's happy are those whose transgression is forgive forgiven whose sin is covered but mm. you say sort of a the the key verse there was um which one sorry did you say which verse, verse? three, uh, verse sort three. Of what's that in your version jeffrey uh, while i kept silence my body wasted away through my groaning all day long yeah yeah I mean, if I was unpacking this psalm, um, you've got to look at the, it's a psalm of David. Um, some people link it to Bathsheba and, and Uriah. So you, you could consider that it, it, there's a kind of a natural break around verse eight and verse nine. So it's David exploring right and wrong in his own life and the mm. need for forgiveness. And then it has an implication for all of us. So so somewhere around verse eight and nine, it moves from this from the, from talking individually to talking plural mm. and the voice changes to, to God's voice I think so it begins to say I God begins to say in verse 8 I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go that's still singular I will counsel you so it's probably still talking to David and then it all becomes plural do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled or they will not come to you um, and then by the time it's ending rejoice in the lord and be glad it's for all of us it's an appeal to all of us so there is this personal experience of david his own journey his own wrong in his life and what he's discovered that blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven whose sins are covered from beginning to end and then the implication for all of us i think that's a if you're going to take one passage to preach i think that psalm passage is a is a great summary of all four mm. and that I, I love that I, yes that idea of going from I to we, you to you, plural. Yeah, um, and of course that's something I know in the. I don't. I don't read Hebrew, so I'm no good on. I'm no good on the Old Testament, but I know that in the in the New Testament, in the Greek, we 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 often struggle in English to 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 get the difference when Jesus is talking to you individual, and yeah. then he will broaden out to you plural. Yeah, uh, my 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 friends from. Texas and the southern United States would always say you and use, use all. Yes. You what's it? You use all, use and use all. I think they sort of distinguish that idea of going from the individual to the collective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a that's a good way in for mm. one way to take these passages 
for, for preaching, isn't it? To look at the individual experience and then to make the implication an application um, for all of us. You could you could also, again, I'm, I'm no expert in Hebrew either, but looking mm. at the details in the Genesis passage. So let's um, go there now. So we're going to Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse uh chapter 2 verses 15 to 17 yeah so the story of adam and eve of course and the the, temptation exactly in the garden the garden of eden um i think that that opening phrase in in 15 the lord god took the man and put him in the garden of eden to work it and take care of it there's a justice issue there and it is about work and it is you know, before sin, we've given this privilege of looking after the planet. And mm. um, that's worth considering from a, from a justice point of view. And that and that phrase, um, to take care of it, is very similar in Hebrew to the way that God takes care of us. So you could compare it with um, Aaron's bless, blessing in Numbers 6, uh, 23 to, to 26. Mm. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. That keep you is very similar to our call to take care so from what we've received from god we also use the same sort of care to to the planet and i guess from from my point of view at at licc i'm interested in what we've started with jeffrey in national justice and and international justice but i'm also interested in in a, a level down of justice in terms of people's individual lives and where justice comes up for them wherever they would find themselves during during the week so by that i mean a church can look at its church program and perhaps talk about one stage further and what we do in a community and then we can so easily jump to national and international justice and macro issues but there's a layer in the middle isn't there of individual you might call micro justice if we're people of justice then that can flow should flow over into the way that we work and rest and play too so there might be justice issues around the way a member of staff is being treated or mm. the purchasing that the company that you work for makes or the way that you drive to work, even the way you mm. drive or whether you drive to work or the contract cleaning firm that come into your place and how much they pay their workers. Yeah. So I look at that Genesis passage and I think of a friend of mine, I'll change his name. Um, let's call him Greg, who is a marine biologist. And his job was to look at the effect of different sorts of work going on on the seabed. And he was asked by a firm who were extracting the aggregates for the building industry to look at the effect on the seabed on the south coast of some work they wanted to do because they needed to extract a lot for the building industry. And they kind of warned him to find nothing major and to find no major effect on Mm. the sea life. But Greg was a Christian and he found there was major negative effect on the sea life. So that's an example of justice. And he had to stand for what he thought was true and get some prayer support from his home group and his church to say, I'm going to produce this report, but you're not going to like it because here here are the effects. Mm. So if we're people of justice in national and local politics, that also ought to be represented in terms of people of justice on the micro level wherever we find ourselves and that relates to this genesis passage of course because the first job we're given is taking care of the planet Mm. yes and 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 yes i do like that idea of the small leading to the large um 
as I said in my introduction, I worked at Parliament before I, I entered the ministry. And one of the most difficult times then was right at the end of my time was the expenses scandal, the MPs expenses yes. scandal. And there was, you know, massive and quite rightly uh, anger about what was going on. And it was right. And people rightly were punished and there was this desire to cover up and all the rest of it. I, I did. I found some of the commentary quite hard, though, because what every survey will show us is that what was going on with the MPs, they were actually reflecting what was going on. They were representing the people mm. because we know that what they were doing, which was inflating expenses, claims, you know, claiming for the wrong thing, using official petrol or mileage for unofficial means is exactly what you know, significant numbers of people do mm -hmm. do. And there was this, there's this sense of, you know, uh, they, and of course, politicians must be exemplars and they, mm -hmm. they should be leading by example. But I think there does have to begin some questions, some hard questions for our society. And I do think very strongly that we often get the politicians we deserve. Mm -hmm. So if we do not value morality in our own lives, then we end up with politicians who don't necessarily value morality in theirs. Yeah, I totally agree. But there's room for, for both that micro and macro level yeah. in our preaching, if we're going to be people who preach for for what politics means in its widest sense and justice. I mean, if mm. I take another example from my own life, prior to being a minister, I worked in, in retail for one of the big department stores in London. I actually work very close to that now with LICC. It was an Oxford Street department store. And I'll show my age now to your to your listeners and those watching can probably tell anyway mm. because my minister at the time that I started in retail he thought my issue would be Sunday trading now at that, that time Sunday trading was trading was just coming in and it was an issue but it wasn't a major issue but my daily issues of justice were many and various they included how do you do a good job in a major company that wants so much of you it's as though it wants your soul how do you work Christianly with a few hundred young people all working together when the prevailing atmosphere is one of flirting? How do you arrest somebody for theft? Because you have to and do so in a Christian way. How do you talk about retail needs when really you mean wants? Mm -hmm. When are you helping the economy and commerce? And when is it just about greed? Mm -hmm. When is it good to help somebody to spend a little bit more because the thing that they buy is probably made better and treated the people who made it better and when is it just selfishness? How do you help a colleague who's just made a major mistake in their private life and now the whole of menswear know? You know these and other things were my daily issues. And I think everybody's daily issues are not so very different. And, and day by day, Sunday by Sunday, we have the opportunity to kind of preach into that. I, th I think for me, a sermon is like the halftime team talk, really, in a game of two halves. The first half may have gone well, and it may have gone badly, but we're about equipping, resourcing, encouraging to get back out there in the game. And those of us who are preachers, we should be player managers in that analogy. We should be in the game too and recognise our own vulnerabilities, just as David does in that psalm, mm. far from perfect, needing the forgiveness ourselves and from without oversharing, of course, but with that open acknowledgement that we're not trying to portray ourselves as perfect. And from that personal experience to the general application of all of us is what the psalm lays out for us. Yeah. And those, so it is the day-to-day -day decisions mm. that actually add up 
to those much. And I think I think the, the, the challenges you outline there, and, and and I've heard others talk about the challenges of being a Christian in business, mm. very hard. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I just heard the um, Archbishop of Canterbury speak at an event in Roehampton, of course, formerly of the oil industry. And, yeah. You know, big issues there. Um, let's press on. And I'm sure we'll keep coming back to these. Where would you like to go next? Would you like to go to Jesus or Paul? the correct answer to that must surely be jesus (laughs) (laughs) i'm happy to to go to either i mean if if i was going to pick just one phrase from all four readings because Mm. i do think these four lend themselves to an to an Mm. overview it would be within paul's uh passage in in the romans passage and let's go there then let's go to romans chapter five and we'll come to the gospel as the summation of it all. yes okay let's justify it that way we'll, we'll best we'll sum up there so from verses 12 to 19 is the is the given passage isn't it mm. and how do you how does yours render verse 17 then to free your version so this is the nrsv if because of the one man's trespass death exercise dominate dominion through that one much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Right, so I would pick out that phrase, much more surely. All four passages recognise the existence of right and wrong, as we have said, Mm. but they don't recognise them equally. It's not a 50-50 zero-sum game. It is genuinely, the good news in all four passages is that the good news is better than the bad news here that what we have is so much greater in terms of the hope that we have of forgiveness and a new start and all that's available through Jesus. So much more surely, how much better in other translations? So I would focus on that. We are people with a better story to tell and Mm. a a better way to to live. Again, to take it to the micro example of people's everyday examples, in in LICC, we talk about 6M sometimes. We talk about what does it look like to actually live this out? And we say the first M is to model godly character, then to make good work, to genuinely try and do good work, paid or unpaid. And this can apply to people who are retired or before working age or out of work, to minister grace and love, to mold culture, to be a mouthpiece for truth and justice, and to be a messenger of the gospel. And we have the opportunity to do all of those sometimes we can narrow christianity down to just being the last one a a messenger of the gospel and i think that would be too narrow we should be people who are mouthpieces for truth and justice who mold culture who minister grace and love who make good work who model godly character too and the sum total of all of that in these passages is that how much more is the good news versus the bad news all four passages have both but but it's not a zero sum equal equal 50-50 game the good wins through in all four and of course in all of these passages especially genesis and romans we've got these massive passages that provoke huge questions about temptation and forgiveness and sin and and you know their justification and all the rest of it but as a preacher you've got to pick your battles haven't you yeah. and i yeah. think that gives your idea you know that gives a very good a very good place to start yes you're right i'm 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 cherry picking a little bit and i'm well we've I'm... got to <laughs> because i mean you know the you can't say today we're going to talk about what the garden of eden and adam and eve mean and justification 
you know, you've got to start somewhere. And as soon as you jump into Romans five, you could spend the yeah. whole time in in the questions. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. and I would do that perhaps in a different context. But yes. in the context of a of a short sermon, I, I like the winning phrase "how much more" or translated in different ways in different passages, because it gives that pivot for us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just very quickly conclude then. Or well, yes, we've got a few minutes. Um, with Matthew's account of the temptation of Jesus uh, going out into the wilderness, very well-known passage heard mm. every year. This time, all the various versions are. Um, is there anything you'd like to say here? I mean, it's a, it's again, it's a great passage. It's of course because it's Jesus and because he resists sin, it doesn't name mm. it as explicitly as the other, as the other three passages. But it's there by implication. It's what he's being tempted. Um, mm. to do um like the genesis passage it involves temptation explicitly from the devil or the evil one however it's portrayed um mm. and there is there's always the, a, dis, a distortion of the truth implied in the words of of the devil um mm. there so th that's worth remembering when we're looking at issues of justice too isn't it that what's being put sometimes you have to challenge the words that are that are coming at you rather than just simply answer them and jesus of course yeah. models that and then of course there are different sorts of temptation if you were focusing on that passage different sorts of temptation that, that appeal to different parts of different ones of us it's a wonderful passage to explore but i but for me because we have four passages that resonate so closely mm. i would be tempted to take the broad theme and then home in on that one example in in romans mm. of how much more or that one example in the in the psalms of the contrast between the two but if you gave me no choice and any one of those four i think this is one week when all four are great mm. are, are very accessible mm. yes yes because sometimes sometimes you struggle with <laughs> at least one of them yeah <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think that's the case this time and if we mm. are trying striving to to not be boring, to make our sermons mm. credible, interesting, and relevant, then there's gold to be found in all four very clearly, without needing to to mine quite as hard as we would in some passages. Yes, yes. And thinking of that idea with the Bible in one hand and, and 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 the newspapers in the other, I think what you've said about going from the small to the great, I think applies to everything. Mm. Um, uh, uh, and and this morning I was doing a junior school assembly about Lent and I was talking about sacrifice and the children really got that idea of giving something up and they were very we talked about giving things up for the climate and you know, to save mm. our planet um and you go you start from the small and go to the big mm. um there um and and I think the idea of yes in in all these situations there's we can apply that. I think the idea of temptation and sin, you know, we can apply to all our stories and we can think about how, you know, the situation in Turkey has been so much exacerbated by what the stories that are now emerging of that temptation to build quickly and to maximise your profit if you're a developer, mm -hmm. to get things going, which has caused this terrible, terrible sinful situation mm -hmm. where so many more people have been killed than necessary. Mm -hmm um and and that idea also that you're saying about you, jesus in i like that idea of jesus interrogating 
than what he's being given. Mm. And so many of our news stories and situation in Russia say that caused by fake the problems caused by fake news. We've got this situation mm. with this terrible individual, Andrew Tate in Romania. Mm. You know, the, the, we as Christians need to interrogate what we are given and not just accept accept um the newspapers or, or the news that we're given but interrogate it through the lens of the scriptures yeah and you, you find that need to interrogate is is sort of implied in, in the in the genesis um passage mm. too because the snake says did god really say so it's starting off with misquoting yeah you know, um you must not eat from any any uh tree tree in the garden so there is the need to to not just accept what we're given and then respond to that sometimes there is the need to to challenge the status quo which is part of um the link between politics and, and the pulpit obviously and and you're right i am always trying to make that link between um what difference does this make in people's everyday lives mm. wherever they find themselves tomorrow mm. and then the link to national and international um politics too and on something like justice that that's that's clear. We make that link on environmental things, don't we? We think about mm. our own our own individual purchases. We make that link on fair trade issues, and, mm. and rightly so. But I think the link is that is there wider in how we live and work and speak and spend and relate and and treat others in a whole range of ways that then has implications. Um, as you rightly pointed out in that politics example of the way that politicians were. Um, treating their mm. money and their expenses mm. yeah and i should have mentioned that the very good uh, use of the uh, example of fair trade i should have mentioned that the fair trade fortnight starts on the 27th of february and going through to the 12th of march as well um and that, that idea of interrogating the news and the link between actions i think the most i often get depressed by my newspaper i think we all do I found a very challenging news story last week was the um, situation in South Bedfordshire where they had allocated a hotel for asylum seekers, mm. causing great consternation uh, in in the local community. And there was a meeting held, and I noticed it was held in the local Abbey Church. Mm. And so you'd see the bishop uh, present and, and clergyman, pre uh, clergy, uh, sorry, clergyman, mm. 100 years out of date clergy present and uh, what was in what was what was good was was some of the the mistruths were being interrogated being challenged because somebody stood up and said well i don't feel safe to go out with my children anymore because there was an attack uh, or a, an incident last week with these asylum seekers and the mp present conservative mp andrew salu did a very good job in challenging he said well that was before any asylum seekers were even present in this area. So he yeah. said, you know, he interrogated and, and and people were saying, well, of course, these asylum seekers have come and that's why we haven't got any dentists. That's why we haven't got any of this or that and t'other. And and I think in, I could imagine and a, a member of um, some, there were some very, very vocal speakers, mm -hmm. some very nasty organisations. Yeah. And I could imagine being in that context and I think we all have of of how frightening it must be to to stand up and challenge 
the the accepted narrative that asylum seekers are the, the cause of all problems in our world mm. how 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 hard to interrogate the truth in that context absolutely jeffrey and i mean what you've just described is just down the road from me I'm, of I'm, course i'm suddenly realizing yes yeah, i mean i'm in bedfordshire and again listeners to the podcast may not know i'm a mixed race myself my dad was from sri lanka my mum white mm. british and there have been times of of absolute civil war in, in Sri Lanka when my family have had their possessions burnt, their houses burnt down and mm. had to get out and had to get to places of, of safety. So I, you know, I, and I, I know what what that has been, been like for them. And that would affect, therefore, my approach to communicating any message of, of God's truth, because um, it is you're right that you can so often combat these prejudices and we all have certain prejudices don't we but mm. we can combat prejudices with helpful facts in the way mm. that you're describing the the ministers and clergy did in, in, in those meetings mm-hmm. um we can we can combat misconceptions with with the details and with and, and with the facts yeah uh, but yes well I think we could go on for quite a while. Okay? I mean, I think, but we've got some wonderful ways there, I think, that perhaps preachers might like to get into these texts. Sure. Um, so thank you so much for your time. And um, thank you very much for sharing with us. I wonder, just before we left, did you wish to point listeners to any particular resources from the LICC um, or anything you'd like? To, uh, uh, you know, when they go on Graham Norton, people will say, Tell us about your book. So, is, you know, you've kindly <laughs> given us your time. Is there anything you'd like to share about the LICC? Well, that's very kind of you. Um, I, LICC.org.uk is full mm. of resources, all aimed at helping equip church leaders to equip their people to make a difference wherever they are. So people can go to that. We have a Lent devotional journey that's free from us and from version. if people use the version app, around the theme of confidence which very much relates to your themes of of justice too, because we think there are so many things ebbing away at the confidence of Christians today. So if you go to licc.org.uk forward slash confidence, you can get a daily free 40-day journey around that theme to help equip God's people to have greater confidence, not arrogant confidence, but a kind of kind, humble confidence that looks like Jesus. So that's the immediate thing starting this week. Okay, well, commend that to people. Um, So lots to think about there and perhaps to think about as we enter this season of Lent, where are the temptations to sin? Where do we need to speak out for justice? Where do we where do we need to begin if we're tackling national issues? Um, And how do we need to give people the good news that there is there is more good news than bad? Um, I'd like to just finish with uh, a short blessing as usual. And I'm going to use words that have been prepared by the Methodist Church with others for um, uh, for this, the, the marking the anniversary of the start of the conflict in Ukraine. Jesus, we praise you as the Prince of Peace. We pray for your kingdom to come where swords are beaten into plowshares and we study war no more. May we be vessels of your peace and instruments for your justice. Send us out to make peace in the power of your spirit. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ken. And God bless everybody. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.